Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. As I was sitting here, I was struck with the sort of terrifying thought that it's a real risk for uh, President Reese to invite me to address the first forum of his presidency. It could leave a lasting stain on his presidency. (laughs) I often begin class at the start of the semester by asking students why they came to BYU. I admit to being quite disappointed that the most common response is, because BYU is cheap. Now, BYU is certainly affordable particularly relative to other universities across the nation. At ranked public colleges nationally, the average in-state tuition and fees uh, for the current academic year is just over $10,000, just under $23,000 for out-of-state students. The annual tuition for private universities in the U.S. this year is just under $40,000. By comparison, the annual tuition at BYU this year is $6,300. I recently read that the total annual cost of education at Ivy League schools is approaching $90,000. We at BYU can be so grateful that generous financial support of the Board of Trustees makes attendance possible and affordable for so many. Perhaps the Board's generous support of BYU seeks to avoid the sad state of the Book of Mormon people just a few years before the Savior visited that people. And the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and learning. Yea, some were ignorant because of their poverty, and others did receive great learning because of their riches. But I would hope that the low cost of attendance would not be the primary reason that you students are drawn to Brigham Young University, or at least that once you arrive here, whether enticed by the low tuition or the urgings or insistence of your parents or the promise of good dating prospects, you then learn to appreciate what it is that truly makes this university a remarkable place to pursue an education. The strength of BYU is so much more than its affordability. We can see that strength if we glance back over our shoulders to the beginning and review the vision behind the university's founding. That look back has been wonderfully facilitated by the recent publication of foundational documents envisioning BYU Foundation and Dreams, edited by our colleague John Tanner. The founding begins with the life story of Carl G. Mazur, this award's namesake and the spiritual architect of Brigham Young University. Carl joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Germany, and because of his newfound faith, he was forced to abandon his position of stature and prestige as a teacher in his homeland. He and his wife yearned to gather with the Saints in Zion. By the age I was when I joined the BYU faculty, Carl had already sacrificed his position his livelihood, 
and had served missions in London and Scotland, the German-speaking community in Philadelphia and the Southern states, all before ever setting foot in Salt Lake City. After arriving in Utah, he barely eked out a living as a teacher. In 1867, just seven years after arriving in the Salt Lake Valley, he was again called to serve a mission, this time to Switzerland and Austria. He left his family in virtual poverty with little means of support. And while on that mission, Carl briefly returned to his native Meissen, Germany. During that visit, Carl's family and friends begged him to bring his family home, abandon his commitment to the strange new religion, promising him funds to relocate in his former position and prosperity. He could not be enticed to reject his faith in the restored gospel. In 1875, Brigham Young asked Carl to start a church school in Provo. Brigham Young Academy. Brigham Young's iconic charge to Carl was brief but powerful. Brother Mazur, he said, I want you to remember that you ought not to teach even the alphabet or the multiplication tables without the Spirit of God. That is all. God bless you. In those early days of the Academy, the students met in the old Lewis Building until 1884 when the building was consumed by fire. The Academy then moved temporarily to the ZCMI warehouse. A permanent structure and home for Brigham Young Academy would not be completed for 17 years. Against overwhelming odds, with meager financial support, meeting and makeshift facilities, even opposition from the local community, the prospect of failure around every corner, Brother Mazur toiled in response to the call of the Prophet to build a church school. He sometimes had to accept garden vegetables from student families as tuition payment. It was Carl's faith in the prophetic mission for the Academy that propelled him in the face of such challenges. Years later, he wrote, Yet there were not wanting some prophetic signs of a more prosperous future. The strength of Brigham Young Academy was not in her financial condition, nor was her distinguishing characteristic to be sought in the professional efficiency of her teachers alone. For all of these advantages have been claimed and enjoyed by schools of learning before. Yet the necessity for the establishment of a new kind of educational institution for Zion had been revealed by the Lord to the Prophet Brigham Young. Carl G. Mazur's service was remarkable. It was he who first embraced the prophetic mission for a church school and labored selflessly to plant the seeds for its fulfillment. The magnificent university we now enjoy, some 10 million square feet of beautiful, well-maintained buildings, over 35,000 students and 1,600 full-time faculty, is the fruit of that early labor. That same prophetic vision spoken of and embraced by Carl G. Mazur has guided the growth of Brigham Young University since it transitioned from Brigham Young Academy in 1903. On the 100th anniversary of the founding of Brigham Young Academy, President Spencer W. Kimball delivered on this campus what has come to be known as the Second Century Address. He added his prophetic vision 
for the institution in its second century. That powerful view of BYU's purpose and promise is captured in this clip from President Spencer W. Kimball's address, delivered in his own distinctive voice. There are many ways in which BYU can tower above other universities, not simply because of the size of its student body or its beautiful campus, but because of the unique light that BYU can send forth into the educational world. Your light must have a very special glow. For while you will do many things in the programs of this university that are done elsewhere, these same things can and must be done better here than others do them. You will also do some special things here that are left undone by other institutions. Prophets have asked us to do better here what is done elsewhere and to do what is missing in other universities. Brigham Young University exists not just to provide an academic experience, even an extraordinary academic experience in business, music, sociology, biology, the classics. The BYU education in these and other disciplines is as fine as you'd receive anywhere. BYU exists not just to equip members of the Church to make a living. I'm confident that God would rather have us live faithfully in poverty than faithlessly in wealth. Higher education can be had at one of a dozen fine universities elsewhere. All of us know members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have pursued their studies at other universities and have been both faithful to their covenants and well prepared for their life's professional work. I'll add here. I heard President Samuelson say multiple times, attendance at BYU is not a saving ordinance. <laughs> so what is it that one can experience uniquely at Brigham Young University and at no other university in the world? What can possibly justify the enormous financial support from the Church that comes to this campus? You may have come here expecting to hear me share insights about my research, perhaps anticipating that I would have you on the edge of your seats with accounts of new discoveries in the spectroscopic theory of gases. <laughs> As I pondered what I might share today, rather than collaborations or groundbreaking innovations, I have chosen to speak about the unique environment that has blessed and benefited my academic career. And I speak from the perspective of one who's experienced BYU as a student, a graduate student, a faculty member, and an administrator for most of the 50 years of the institution's second century. My life has been profoundly impacted by this institution. <clears throat> In Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, the Lord gave what I believe is the foundational statement for our mission at BYU. Seek learning, even by study and also by faith. This is the primary objective of all instructional and research activities at this university. Have you ever tried to drive your car 
or touch a distant object with one eye closed? Looking through only one eye seriously limits our perception of depth, our perspective. BYU is founded on the prophetic precept that the same is true of education, that the eye of study and the eye of faith can be mutually enhancing. At BYU, we see our disciplines differently than other universities, with perspective and depth. Where else but at BYU are we institutionally free, even encouraged, to view our disciplines through the complementary eyes of reason and faith? We see how man's knowledge, vast and growing as it is, is clarified and sharpened by revealed knowledge. Let me offer two simple examples for my discipline. The sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening and provides energy that fuels the earth. The sun emits electromagnetic radiation, light, that is spread over many wavelengths. Our eyes are sensitive to that electromagnetic radiation only in a very small range of the full wavelength range. And thus, we are not able to see with our human eyes most of the sun's radiated energy that falls on the earth. Interestingly, the sun's peak radiated energy lies in the small wavelength range where our eyes are sensitive. In other words, the sun illuminates the earth with a wavelength distribution optimally matched to human eyes. Considering that scientific fact with the perspective of both faith and reason leads me to conclude that the Creator knew exactly what He was doing in establishing the Son as the primary source of energy and light for our earthly home. A second example. Water is the most abundant substance on the planet. Unlike most common substances, the density of water decreases slightly as it freezes. That is why ice cubes float. If this were not so, if water became more dense as it freezes, water at the surface of the ocean in the Earth's cold polar regions would freeze and fall to the ocean floor, then more water at the ocean surface would freeze and fall to the bottom, and so on. Ice would accumulate at the bottom of the ocean, and the same would happen in lakes exposed to cold weather. Can you imagine what that would produce? This would likely disrupt the delicate thermal and ecological balance for the entire planet and make it a rather inhospitable place. Now, with the vision afforded by both faith and reason, we can see how this is providential a sustaining place for Heavenly Father's children to live. I can't speak authoritatively of other disciplines, but I am confident that in them we would see similar advantage that the eyes of faith and reason can provide. Often we see in the advancement of knowledge man's understanding finally catching up to heavenly truth. Collectively and uniquely at BYU, we can make those connections and share them openly with each other. Without the benefit of study and faith, BYU becomes just another very fine university. 
The wise men who came from the East to welcome the birth of the Savior at His first coming were learned, highly educated for their day, and they were also devoted believers in the prophecies that foretold the Savior's coming. They were guided by both study and faith. Wouldn't it be a shame if we at BYU became learned but not wise? Just over 50 years ago, I sat here in the Marriott Center as a teenager for the dedication of the Provo Temple. In the dedicatory prayer, President Joseph Fielding Smith implored, Let that great temple of learning, the Brigham Young University, and all that is associated with it, and all other church schools and institutes and seminaries be prospered to the full. Let thy enlightening power rest upon those who teach and those who are taught that they may seek learning even by study and also by faith. You students are among the most well-prepared university students in the nation, both academically and spiritually. You deserve the depth and breadth of the highest quality instruction in an environment illuminated by the restored gospel. We faculty members feel the weight of that responsibility as articulated in President Kimball's words from a 1967 devotional on this campus. It is proper that every professor and teacher in this institution would keep his subject matter bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel and have all his subject matter perfumed lightly with the spirit of the gospel. Always there would be an essence, and the student would feel the presence. In 2006, the BYU Faculty Center undertook a study to determine student attitudes toward the university's aims of delivering an educational experience that is both spiritually strengthening and intellectually enlarging. The study authors aggregated student course evaluations for fall and winter semesters, spring and summer terms, over two academic years. They found a strong correlation between courses that students found spiritually strengthening and those that were also reported where they reported having learned a lot. Student interviews conducted as part of the study also revealed that 90 percent of students agree that, at some level, that every course at BYU should be both spiritually strengthening and intellectually enlarging. Student comments from my course evaluations regularly bear this out. This suggests that BYU courses need not and should not sacrifice intellectual rigor in order to incorporate faith. In learning at BYU, rigorous study is no substitute for faith, and faith is no substitute for rigorous study. Neither faith without rigor nor, nor rigor without faith will achieve the prophetic purposes of the university. Where else at BYU but BYU can we collectively and institutionally combine scholarship with faith? The BYU mission statement approved by prophets, seers, and revelators that compose the university's board of trustees in 1981, the year I, before I left this campus to go to graduate school, directs that scholarly research and creative endeavor among both faculty and students, including those in selected graduate programs of real consequence, are essential and will be encouraged. 
Research and creative work are perhaps the most expensive elements of a university's function, requiring faculty time, space for laboratories, studios, equipment, and administrative support. One might wonder why the Board of Trustees desirous to give as many students a BYU experience as possible would direct that a portion of its precious resources be used to support scholarly work. In his vision for the second century of BYU, President Spencer W. Kimball stated, This university shares with other universities the hope and the labor involved in rolling back the frontiers of knowledge even further. But we also know that through the process of revelation, there are yet many great and important things to be given to mankind that will have an intellectual and spiritual impact far beyond what mere men can imagine. Thus, at this university, amongst faculty, students, and administration, there is and must be an excitement and an expectation about the very nature and future knowledge that underwrites the uniqueness of BYU. That prophetic aspiration could scarcely be realized if we were not engaged in scholarly activity, both faculty and students. President Joseph Fielding Smith declared, There has never been a step taken in discovery or invention where the Spirit of the Lord was not the prevailing force resting upon the individual which caused him the discovery or the invention. Where else but BYU, a community of believers and covenant-makers, a community with collective access to the gift of the Holy Ghost, can research and revelation be combined? The generation of new knowledge, new understanding of the world around us, and new solutions to humanity's problems is indeed a noble endeavor, a divine endeavor. But I wonder if there may be more to this prophetic vision regarding the role of research and creative work at BYU than just the advancement of our disciplines through new discovery. In my early years as a faculty member here, I was anxious to make a research contribution to my discipline that would be of enduring value. At the time, my research focused on the study of the heat transfer and flow characteristics of liquid jets striking hot surfaces. Liquid jets offer the potential of the most effective heat removal of any cooling configuration. My research group had been studying through careful experiments the cooling effectiveness of liquid jets impinging against hot surfaces, and I was anxious to conceive an experimental program complementary to those heat transfer experiments that would provide understanding in the detailed nature of the liquid flow of the problem. About that time, I attended a research conference in Boston and was seated in a lecture room of the conference venue listening to a technical presentation when an idea burst into my mind. I remember nothing about the presentation I was hearing, but the impression came to me so powerfully that I remember to this day how the lecture room was configured, where I was seated in the room, and very clearly the impression that came. What was presented in my mind was a radically different experimental approach for studying the liquid flow directly under a liquid jet and in the very thin layer that forms. I returned from that conference 
shared the impression with my Ph.D. student, and we pursued that novel approach for the next several years. Using laser instrumentation, we imaged the flow in the jet, striking a transparent jet, looking at it from the backside. Now, I'm confident that idea came to me by the Holy Ghost. The results of our work in that experimental effort didn't change the world. I don't know how many of you have heard of that groundbreaking work. (laughs) But it did bring new understanding to a difficult problem, impacting both the academic knowledge and the industrial implementation of this cooling technique. I ask myself, why would God want to share with me that impression? I believe it was in part to demonstrate to me early in my career that learning is always magnified by the Holy Ghost, to tutor me in the divine direction to seek learning even by study and also by faith. I have witnessed this repeatedly in my research activity at BYU, and even more importantly, I have seen it manifest in my students as we work together. In the early 1990s, a Ph.D. student and I tackled the very difficult theoretical problem of predicting thermal radiation heat transfer from gases at high temperature. When seated around a campfire, one feels the heat of the flame even when positioned at some distance from the flame. This is thermal radiation heat transfer, and it happens when hot combustion gases and soot produced in the fire radiate energy in the form of heat to the surroundings. Engineers and scientists had been working on this problem for more than half a century without making much headway in in accurate predictions in an efficient manner. At the time we began our work, the rigorous approach for accurately predicting the energy transfer by thermal radiation from hot gases required days of computer time. As we dove into this problem, I saw clear inspiration come to my Ph.D. student, and it exploded in his work like a flash. He was energized by the excitement, and the result was a radically new theoretical method to tackle the problem. Beginning with that Ph.D. student and others that followed, our research developed and refined this new modeling approach. The result is a highly accurate method that requires a tiny fraction of the computing time used by previous approaches. We have been pleased to see our method adopted by researchers and industrial users across the globe. Brigham Young University, the flagship university of the Church educational system, has as part of its prophetic mandate student-centered scholarly research guided by revelation born of faith in an omniscient God. Why? Certainly it is to address pressing problems of humankind. Perhaps more importantly, it is to train students to think and reason and process assisted by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. President Kevin Worthen has aptly termed this process inspiring learning. More now than ever, the kingdom of God needs deep thinkers anchored in faith in all disciplines, capable of reconciling scholarly observations 
with authentic, defining belief in God. The world needs thinkers who both rigorously and prayerfully approach their disciplines and are willing and able to access the perspective that comes from seeing with both eyes, faith and reason. The world needs thinkers who are ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason for the hope that is in them. Where else can this be done so effectively as at BYU, where study and inspiration and students are combined in the research and creative work? May I share an example from the arts on campus? Just before Christmas last year, my wife and I attended a concert of one of the School of Music's performance choirs, the BYU Concert Choir. It was spectacular. I was particularly struck with the choir's rendition of a piece entitled In Christ Alone, shown in a music video as part of the concert. I wondered how the faculty conductor could coach such music, both brilliant and inspiring, from the student singers. Just a week or so after the concert, I ran into the faculty conductor of that student choir in the Provo Temple. At that moment, the power behind his influence on students became quite clear to me. The faculty conductor's work was imbued with the spirit and power that comes from temple worship. He inspired his students because he was inspired. President Kimball's charge to the faculty, as scholars, you must speak <clears throat> you must speak with authority and excellence to your professional colleagues in the language of scholarship, and I will add creative work. And you must also be literate in the language of spiritual things. We must be more bilingual in that sense to fulfill our promise in the second century of BYU. It is no wonder that at BYU we have such ready access to the temple, which refines our capacity for spiritual learning. BYU is a place where students can gather from all over the world with others of like mind and heart to pursue their university studies. Here, students, staff, and faculty, living true to covenants that guide their lives, create a unique environment freed from the distractions found on other campuses. Here we aspire to see the ideals of the Lord Jesus Christ embraced and modeled at scale in a university community among those who seek to be His disciples, while deeply engaged in our disciplines. In December 1830, the Lord directed the members of the Young Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to gather from eastern states to Ohio. In that gathering place, the Prophet Joseph Smith was told to launch the School of the Prophets in Kirtland, Ohio. Here they studied history, current events, reading and writing, mathematics, language study, and doctrinal teaching. It was in this special school setting that learners in the Church first began to merge the secular and the sacred in their study which was accompanied by powerful manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Perhaps it wasn't coincidental that the gathering of the saints to Ohio and the charge to study in faith occurred at the same time, setting a pattern for what happens at Brigham Young University. 
Such a collective of people anxious to learn and be assisted by the power of heaven is part of the secret of BYU. I have found it touching in my classes that when I invite students to pray at the start of each class period, the student will often implore Heavenly Father that I will teach with the Spirit and that they will understand the same way. It's clear the students know my limitations as a teacher. Where else could this happen? A gathering of students devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, unitedly and unashamedly seeking to understand thermodynamics through the help of the Holy Ghost. I am convinced that faculty at BYU seek to be eligible for the guidance of the Spirit to communicate their disciplines, and that students seek to master those disciplines in the same way. Students come to the university hungry for this environment and the blessing of Spirit-assisted instruction. Their parents, I believe, pray for such an environment when they send their children to BYU. Those parents share Carl G. Mazur's caution. I would rather trust my child with a serpent than to place him in the hands of an irreligious teacher. I've had children at BYU. This fall, I will have a granddaughter here. The university's achievement of its mission means everything to me. While relative to gathering, while it has long been the subject of tongue-in-cheek BYU humor, this university also provides a place for students to interact socially of those with shared commitment to eternity, which might lead to a companion. This happened to me while I was a student at BYU, bringing my wife and me together and forming a family that I love and am proud of. Whatever measure of professional success I have may enjoyed at BYU during my career, this, my family, is my most important product of the years I've spent here. In this BYU community, <clears throat> those who serve and teach are as concerned about students, about who students are, and about what they are becoming as they are about what students know. Faculty here recognize students not just as pupils, coaches not just as athletes, building supervisors see workers not just as employees. Even the university police see you as more than mere violators when you park in restricted stalls. <laughs> Last year, President Nelson reminded young adults that they are, first and foremost, children of God. Second, as a member of the Church, they are children of the covenant. And third, they are disciples of Jesus Christ. With the gospel understanding that is core to the BYU community, we see each other as divine beings with divine potential. That same 2006 Faculty Center study I mentioned earlier asked BYU students to rank what teaching activities have the greatest impact on the achievement of both an intellectually enlarging and spiritually strengthening experience in their classes. At the top of the students' list 
multiple elements that they mentioned, at the top of their list was that faculty show they believe in students' potential. Carl G. Mazur put it this way, If a carpenter or a blacksmith should spoil a piece of material he was working on, he could throw it aside and take another piece. But the teacher cannot do this with the eternal soul of the child. One of the most gratifying student comments in my course evaluations is, he helped me believe I could master the material. Understanding human potential in the fullest sense is unique at BYU and comes from our understanding of Heavenly Father's plan. Where else but at BYU do professors recognize that teaching a college student brings the heavy stewardship of teaching a child of God? And where else do students see their university studies as having eternal implications? In this BYU gathering of disciple scholars and disciple learners, we are all lifted and motivated by the examples of gospel-centered lives of others. Several months ago, faculty in my department met in a faculty meeting to discuss applicants for vacant faculty positions. These meetings include lively discussions of possible future department faculty, often with strong differences of opinion expressed as the faculty reviews candidates. We know that hiring new faculty is a nominal 30-year decision with the potential for significant impact on the students and the university. In this particular faculty meeting, one of my department colleagues shared an observation regarding one faculty candidate that another faculty colleague found offensive. And the offended colleague quickly, abruptly, and pointedly reacted with a comment. The next time we met as a faculty, at the start of the meeting, the department chair gave some time to my offended colleague. Now, this is a colleague who is widely published, recognized nationally and internationally for his scholarly work. At his request, this colleague stood humbly before the faculty and asked forgiveness of the entire department for his pointed response. Knowing our true identity can't help but affect our interactions on this campus. This gathering of Latter-day Saints at BYU brings a shared commitment to Carl G. Mazur's feeling that education should shape both the head and the heart. Two years ago, I taught a young woman in an introductory class in the mechanical engineering program. She was eager to learn to take advantage of all that BYU has to offer. Since that course, she has from time to time dropped by my office to keep me updated on her classes and activities and plans for the future. While an undergraduate student, she involved herself in the research project of a faculty colleague in another department. Not long ago, this young woman approached her bishop about the possibility of receiving her temple endowment. She prepared for the temple, and when the time came for her to enter the temple, neither her father nor her mother was able to join her. Of those few whom she invited to share with her that 
first sacred temple experience were her BYU research faculty advisor and his wife. Where else but at BYU could such associations be cultivated and a student turn to a faithful faculty member to share such an experience? I would call that inspiring learning. Here we can candidly and safely acknowledge the gaps between what we know or think we know and what we don't know. In fact, this is the beginning of learning. In my classes, I often encounter two extreme types of students—those whose technical ability exceeds their confidence and those whose confidence (laughs) exceeds their technical ability. The latter is the more dangerous. I view my job as a teacher to bring into alignment their technical ability and their confidence and to raise them both. That process sometimes involves failure on the part of the students. In his first address to the students, as president of Brigham Young University, Kevin Worthen spoke of learning to fail successfully, driven by the BYU mission statement. He observed, failing is an essential part of our quest for perfection. We don't often think of it that way because that is only because we tend to focus too much on the word perfection and not enough on the word quest when we read the mission statement. Failure is an inevitable part of the quest, he continues. In our quest for perfection, how we respond when we fail will ultimately determine how well we succeed. And sometimes acknowledging what we don't know can lead to unsettling questions. Elder Dale G. Renlund taught, God in His wisdom knows that a vital part of our mortal experience is to not know everything. There is something about trusting Him that allows us to progress to become like Him. When questions arise that trouble us, when we see what appears to be a conflict between the world's view and heaven's view, we are uniquely positioned here to help each other default to devotion rather than doubt. I conclude with an experience from several years ago. At the beginning of each academic year, BYU holds a series of meetings called the University Conference to help faculty and staff energize for the coming year. The President shares his vision and counsel in a general session, which is both inspiring and motivating. The academic vice president shares remarks of particular relevance to faculty in a faculty session of the conference. Several years ago, one of the college deans accompanied a new faculty member to his first faculty session of university conference. The new faculty member had spent a number of years at another university. We assembled in the Dion Concert Hall some 1,200 university faculty. And as we always do, we began the meeting with a hymn and a prayer. In the middle of the hymn, the dean happened to glance at his new colleague, and tears were streaming down his cheeks. Asked what might be wrong, he said, You have no idea what you have here. As I now close, You may conclude that this lecture was more devotional 
than it was for him. But my point is, isn't that the point of BYU? I express my deep gratitude for what we have here, for BYU's unique place among universities and its special prophetic mission. From someone who's been around BYU for a while, I plead with you students to take advantage of all that BYU has to offer. And I pray that as faculty members, we will take our stewardship here as seriously as did Carl G. Mazur. Here, faith and research—pardon, faith and reason, research and revelation—are complementary. Here in this gathering of disciples, it is our opportunity and charge to seek the full realization of human potential. This place matters. Of this I bear witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library, as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.